Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Sorry it's a little warm in here. Uh, have you heard of hot yoga before? Some people pay extra for it to be hot. Um, so we are in yes looking at the great affirmations of God. You know, we're looking at both God's yes to us, but also our response. We saw in the first week the Apostle Paul writes some tough, challenging words about a disagreement he has with the Christians in Corinth. But he says, even though we disagree, even though I'm challenging you, you can trust that I am for you because God is for us in Jesus Christ. And that's a word that is true for all of us. Even in our diversity and our disagreements, we can still be for one another because God is for us in Jesus Christ. And then last week, we looked at the risk, the inherent risk in saying yes. It's a risky decision. We said, but the risk is worth taking. And today, we're going to look at um, what it means to find uh, the rest and peace of God. What does it mean to say yes to God's rest and God's peace? When I was telling uh, my wife what I was going to be preaching on this week, she asked me, what are you preaching on? I said, oh, uh, entering God's peace and rest. She said, oh, preaching to yourself, huh? And I'll be honest with you. Um, I don't know if like your parents ever said this to you when you were growing up or maybe say it to you, but do as I say, not as I do, you know? And so this is a challenging word for me as well. But I think God, especially at this time of year, invites us to enter his peace, enter his rest. So let us look at a psalm, a poem that King David wrote. Psalm 62, verses 5 through 12. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, O God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love, and you reward everyone according to what they have done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you might teach us how we can enter your rest, so that we can experience that peace that you offer. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I played on a basketball team in middle school where we thought the coach did not know what he was doing. We ran this out-of-bounds play every game, several times a game, every game of the season. It was ridiculous. It was called the picket fence play. And you basically, you'd be taking the ball out-of-bounds underneath your basket, and then your four players would line up on the free-throw line. And they would run to the side and create kind of like a fence, and the last guy would run behind the screen, and he'd have a wide-open 15-foot bank shot, which was great for the first time you ran it. 
But the third, the fourth, the fifth time, everybody had seen it. They knew exactly what was happening. We got so irritated running the picket fence play. But I'll be honest, my coach wasn't stupid. He was a genius. See, I learned a lot from that experience. My coach had the big picture in mind. He had the vantage point. He could see the whole season. He had the the big picture. He knew what he was doing. He knew why we, we were running that play. And I think when we talk about entering God's peace and God's rest, we have to trust that God has the big picture in mind. When it comes to peace and rest, we have to trust that God knows what God is up to. We need times of rest. We need times of peace. We need times to stop and stand back from the fray and the chaos and rest. But let's be honest. This time of year, we become restless because we rest less. There are so many things to do. Our shopping list, our to-do list is so long. There are so many items. We've got to buy things for Thanksgiving. I have to buy Christmas presents. Got to get pictures with Santa. Must post pictures with Santa. Got to make cookies. Got to post pictures of cookies. We have to attend the church Christmas party. I do admit we do play a part in making this season so busy. In this time of year, we become restless because we rest less. What would it mean for us to slow down? What would it mean to schedule time to do nothing? What would it mean to pray with the psalmist? Yes, my soul, find rest in God. Find rest in God. This psalm, I can imagine David is doing a lot of self-talk here. We don't know the time of his life where he wrote it. It could have been as a young boy. I could imagine him, you know, he's out there tending the family sheep and he loses a sheep and he says, oh no. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. Or maybe when he's on the run for his life, King Saul is hunting him down and he's hiding in a cave and he's frightened and he's shivering. He says, truly God is my rock and my salvation. God is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Or maybe, maybe it was after the death of his son. He says, my soul, find rest in God. Or maybe it was on one of the busy days of being king. All the the things he had to do. Make sure people are paid on time. People are being fed. Also had to take care of his family. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. If, If we are honest, we know that saying yes to rest is so difficult for so many of us. But really the purpose of human life, I think, is rest, is peace. It's finding that rest and that peace. There's a great little book by the German public intellectual philosopher Joseph Piper. It's called Leisure, the Basis of Western Culture. And you see the kind of person I am. Like, even when I rest, I read philosophical books about rest. Just, in, just absolutely insane. And it says, he makes the argument that you can tell a, cur- a culture's health by how, they have le- how much leisure time they have. How do these people play? How do they rest? Do they have leisure? Are they at peace? At one point, he diagnoses 
busyness. He says, why are we so busy? And he says this, leisure is only possible when we are at one with ourselves. We tend to overwork as a means of self-escape, as a way of trying to justify our existence. Many of us are staying so busy because we are trying to justify our existence. Busyness has almost become a virtue in our culture. I almost guarantee you, you walk in today, ask somebody, how's it going? How have you been? 75% of the time, I bet they say, busy. Busy. I mean, have you ever had somebody, you say, how are you doing? And they go, well, I've been great. I'm so calm and peaceful. (laughs) Nothing to do. Just been leisuring. No, no one says that. We like brag about how busy we are. Look how busy I am. We've made a virtue of looking busy. We were made to work, but we were also made to rest. We were made to produce, but we were also made to play. Most scholars say that the book of Genesis was really put together when um, the Israelite and Hebrew slaves were in captivity in Egypt. I wrote these stories. And it's fascinating in the two creation accounts, the first one we have in Genesis 1. tells the story of how God created the world. First day, he creates light. And then the next five days, he's very busy. Sun, moon, and stars are created. Land and sky, birds and animals. On the sixth day, he creates humans. But on the seventh day, it says he rests from his labors. Says he looks out on his creation and says, It is very good. I have this image of God like laying out on a lounge chair with a glass of sweet tea. Just going, It is very good. But notice creation, part of creation is rest, is peace. And these stories are told in the context of Hebrew slavery, where the one motto of the Pharaoh was, Make more bricks. Make more bricks. We got pyramids to build, buildings to construct. Make more bricks. No rest. And the Hebrew people are suffering in slavery, and they tell a story of creation where the pinnacle of creation is God rests from his labors. God rests from his work. The Hebrew people suffered in slavery, but Moses led them out of captivity. And as they're going through the wilderness, they come to Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, and there he receives what we call the Ten Commandments. And in Deuteronomy's version of the Ten Commandments, it begins with these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me because look what I did for you. I led you out of captivity, out of slavery. And I'm going to give you some commands that are going to set you apart from the surrounding cultures. Remember where you came from so you don't go back. Command number four in Deuteronomy. It's where he addresses the Sabbath. Listen to this. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. Okay, well, who's included in this command? Well, you 
or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the resident alien in your towns so that every male and female slave may rest as well as you. Everyone, everyone in the community needs rest. Why? Verse 15, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Don't go back into slavery. Take a day to rest, to be at peace. You've been liberated from making more bricks. The Ten Commandments say that the Sabbath is freedom from slavery. Sometimes, I'm honest, we can even use our religion to kind of justify forgetting about rest and our need for rest. Now, I'm sure this is true in a lot of different professions. I happen to be a pastor, so I pay attention to these kinds of things. But there was this podcast I listened to, um, and they talk about people's jobs. And they ask them, um, what, what do you do for your career? What does it look like? And so the reporter interviews this senior pastor at a large church. And the re- reporter says, give us like a typical work week. So he begins, the senior pastor, he says, well, Monday I meet with my staff and leaders all day. Tuesday, I do hospital visits. Wednesday, I work on Sunday's sermon. Thursday, I teach and preach Bible studies. Fridays, I do wedding rehearsals and catch up on emails. Saturdays, I finish my sermon, officiate weddings, and catch up on more emails. Sundays, I preach at all our services, and then I have committee meetings. The pastor describes how busy his weeks are. And the reporter, who happens to be Jewish, says, wait a second. Doesn't the Ten Commandments say something about taking a Sabbath and not working? Looks like you're working every day of the week. And the senior pastor was brought to silence. And when you bring a preacher to silence, you've done something. Even if you're up to good work, it's good to rest from your good work. You need to take a Sabbath. Oh, but we have to trust that God sees the big picture. He has a better view of our lives and finding meaning. So when we think about rest, I think there are really two great reasons we need to rest. I'm going to conclude with them. It's wonder and worship. Wonder. Stopping from our labors and resting allows us to notice the world around us. When we're busy at work, our heads are on the ground, but to take a rest and a break and to lift our eyes up and wonder at God's great creation, at the world we're a part of. I have a friend who takes, uh, he has four daughters, and he takes them, when they hit about three or four, he takes them to teach them how to bird watch, bird watching. And I, I remember when he was telling me about this, I say, you take a three-year-old to bird watch? He was like, yeah. I said, you must not have boys. So how do you do that? He says, well, we go and take a bird watching guide, make them sit down next to me, I teach them to be really still, It takes time, but we work on it, and then they're taught to pay attention. Did you see that bird over there? What color is its back? Can you see that stripe? Look over there. They learn to rest and to be at peace and to experience the feeling of wonder. Sitting still, doing nothing, and just looking out and experiencing wonder. 
God invites us to that, to experience that kind of wonder. The English poet and Jesuit priest, uh, Gerald Manley Hopkins, he's basically like the 19th century Kendrick Lamar, um, wrote poetry about noticing uh, the wonder of God's creation. And his poetry is really interesting because what he's trying to do with the words and the sounds themselves is evoke the very emotion and things that he observes in nature. This one's called as Kingfishers Catch Fire. Listen to this. As kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim and roundy wells, stones ring. Like each tucked string tells, each hung bell's bow swung finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same. Deals out that being indoors, each one dwells. Selves goes itself. Myself it speaks and spells, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. I say more, the just man justices, keeps grace that keeps all his goings graces, acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, Christ, for Christ plays in 10,000 places. Lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces. Listen to that. For Christ plays in 10,000 places. Lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces. What Hopkins is doing here is he begins with nature and he notices the kingfishers, which are some of the most colorful birds in Great Britain. And he notices the dragonflies. He's looking out at nature. And as he enters that moment of wonder, he begins to move to worship. He begins to notice, he says, Christ plays in 10,000 places. God is working all over. And then he says, and if you pay attention, you can experience the divine, even the sacred, in human faces. But you have to slow down. You have to have a sense of wonder at the world. And when you feel that wonder, you can experience worship. Wonder leads to worship. That's why David in the psalm writes, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him. For God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath and the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. David is saying, having the courage to rest relativizes all the things that would take the place of God in our lives. For the Hebrew slaves, the Pharaoh wanted to have the place of God saying, make more bricks, no rest. Psalmist, David notices the love of riches, focusing your life, making that your idol, your God. It means no rest for you. David says, don't do that. Don't put your riches at the center of your life. Trust in God. This is what it means to worship God as God. To trust that God has the big picture in mind and that we need times of rest. We need times of wonder and times of worship. God has the big picture in mind. My coach also had the big picture in mind. We went the whole season, and he kept running the the picket fence play every game, several times a game. Finally came to the semifinals in the playoffs. We were in it. It was a close game, the entire game. The very end of the game, there was only a few seconds left. It was our ball. We had the ball out of bounds underneath our basket. The coach called timeout. 
we come over to the huddle. It's like, okay, here's the play we're going to run. We're going to run the picket fence. We're like, oh, no. What is he doing? So I want you to line up, all four of you at the free throw line. Jeff, you have the ball underneath the basket. And I want you to run to set up the fence. But they're going to be looking for this. So the last guy in the line, I want him to fake like he's going to run behind the fence. Fake and then go straight to the basket. Sure enough, we run the play. The last guy in line jabs behind the picket fence and he rushes to the basket. Well, the defender knew or thought he knew what was going on. He tried to cheat over. My teammate was wide open underneath the basket. I pass him. He makes the lamp. We win the game. My life has changed. <laughs> we, we thought he didn't know what he was doing. He had the big picture in mind. The same thing it comes to rest and peace. God has the big picture in mind. The next six weeks are going to be the busiest time of our year. You will be tempted to spend all of your time shopping. You will be tempted to make more bricks. You will be tempted to trust in riches. You'll be tempted to let the busyness of this season crowd out wonder and worship. But I ask you to join me in saying yes to God and finding the rest in yes. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you do call us to moments of wonder, call us to worship. We pray that we might have that courage to let you be God and have the big picture, or to not try to justify our existence with busyness, that we might enter the rest and the peace and the comfort that you created us for. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.